What is up, Bitcoiners? I just had an awesome conversation with the man, Kareem Helmy. He is over at Galaxy Digital and has been putting out fantastic work around Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin's incentive system. We started off talking about a question that uh, I feel strongly about, which is like, what actually defines Bitcoin? I generally speak speaking thinks that it's the network of nodes that define Bitcoin. It is actually physical hardware that is running code and staying in sync every 10 minutes. And that is what defines Bitcoin. Uh, Kareem definitely brought up some great points of edge cases of crisis situations where, you know, maybe users, people have to actually coordinate and define Bitcoin. So we went back and forth on that for a while. Uh, and then we actually talked about mining. He is an expert in mining, and I would be remiss to have him on the show and not dive into the health of the network, what is happening on the Bitcoin network, and how he feels about Bitcoin game theory. Uh, so that was great. Before we get into this podcast, though, I want to tell you about BitcoinMagazine.com. I am the managing director of BitcoinMagazine.com, as well as the host of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Um, and it has been an absolute pleasure to get to interact with the Bitcoin community and give them a platform. That's what Bitcoin Magazine is. We look for the best minds in Bitcoin. We look for the best content in Bitcoin. And we look for, for Bitcoin truth. We like Bitcoin and we want to help the world understand it and understand the community of people behind it. Uh, so go to BitcoinMagazine.com. If you are a Bitcoiner who wants to contribute, make sure to send us some content, holler at us. Our DMs are open over at Bitcoin Magazine on Twitter, as well as you can reach us on our multitude of Telegram channels. So uh, don't be shy. Reach out to Bitcoin Magazine and uh, check out and enjoy our amazing content, including this interview with Kareem Helmy. All right, Bitcoiners, I am sitting across the stream from a fellow Egyptian. We're just opining on how Egyptians are punching way above their weight in the Bitcoin industry. I'm sitting across from Kareem Helmi, who uh, has really made a huge splash in the mining ecosystem as a mining analyst. Now you're over at Galaxy Digital. Kareem, an honor and pleasure to have you on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Thanks so much, man. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, Kareem, like I brought you on because we were kind of going back and forth on Twitter about like what defines Bitcoin, like what what actually ensures the 21 million. There's a lot of theories around this. I think that there's a lot of people who would say that Bitcoin is defined by a social contract. I tend to kind of stay clear. Like I think that it's really there's truly a physical network of infrastructure that is enforcing this thing. Um, so like, again, like this is like a deep down hardcore Bitcoin, like what is this thing type of like philosophical talk. So this is not for faint of heart, but Kareem, like, I guess, why don't you introduce yourself first and foremost, a little talk about maybe how you got into Bitcoin and then start setting your frame, like, you know, helping the audience understand like your framework of like, what, how do you define Bitcoin? What defines the network? Totally. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about me and then let's get into this whole rabbit hole. Yeah, let's um, do it. It's so, going to be deep. <laughs> let's do it. So uh, my name's Kareem. I am at Galaxy Digital uh, on the research team with Alex Thorne. Uh, we are, you know, big, big Bitcoiners there. Uh, and uh, I joined Galaxy over from Coinmetrics where I was working on uh, a lot of Bitcoin mining metrics and um, network health and, you know, dispersion assessment. Um, great team. Uh, definitely, you should check them out if you haven't. Uh, but yeah, definitely ready to dive into this whole like social contract discussion because I, 
do believe that Bitcoin is fundamentally defined by uh, a core set of unwritten principles. Okay, well, this is not about what I think. It's about what you think. So let's talk about that. Like, what defines Bitcoin in your mind and why? All right, there's a few things. So what defines Bitcoin is not its hash rate. What defines Bitcoin is not the miners. What defines Bitcoin is definitely, definitely not the exchanges. It's the nodes, like you said, right? I think that the nodes, in the event that the code were to diverge from a set of unwritten principles around the emission schedule, around having only 21 million Bitcoins ever, uh, you know, if a bug were discovered tomorrow, would side with those principles. We would, you know, fork onto a set of the code base that actually abides by those principles. Uh, I think this is a good thing, right? Uh, I think there have been situations in uh, a couple of altcoins, most notably Doge, where, you know, the team was saying one thing, they were saying there was a hard cap on the supply. There was a bug in the code. Uh, the hard cap kind of just disappeared. There's a, you know, forever emission schedule. It, uh, it's, it stopped having and, and it's just, you know, inflating the supply forever. And they they just kept the faulty version of the code. And I think in Bitcoin, if the same thing were to happen, we would keep the hard supply cap. I think there's a couple of other minor features that define it. But fundamentally, I mean, I, I think the users are the spec. I don't think the code is the spec. Interesting. So the users are the spec in your mind. I mean, I think the example of like, if the, the code started enforcing something that conflicted with the dominant social contract, uh, that there would be an enormous amount of friction in that moment. Um, I don't know. I, I generally tend to, and maybe I'm just wrong, but I tend to think that with Bitcoin, more than any other network, it is extremely difficult to coordinate uh, you know, people. And because of that, um, whatever is the longest chain, and you can kind of coordinate miners just with like the, the overflow bug back in the Satoshi days, um, they coordinated miners and actually, you know, got the hash rate to support a, a different chain, built a longer chain and overtook it. And then all the nodes kind of sunk up with that. Um, you know, there is examples of soft forks and things like that where you can kind of coordinate without disrupting the, phys like the, the physical consensus, the physical network consensus that's happening across the internet amongst like all of these Bitcoin nodes. Um, so I'm just kind of, you know, I don't know. Like it, it's so difficult to describe this kind of like what is Bitcoin topic. And, you know, I'm just some idiot who's like opining on, you know, what makes it. But it just seems to me like it's going to be impossible to break whatever the physical network is. And it's going to be difficult to hard fork, which is force people to get onto a new network by upgrading their software intentionally and having that software be not backwards compatible. I feel like there's just a massive friction to that. And I, I don't even think it's, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like, any dis discussion of social contract theory by two people who aren't, you know, like PhDs just smells like a bunch of freshmen in a college dorm smoking a ton of weed. Um, it just has, it, it inevitably goes down that route, right? Uh, so I think and kind two of the Egyptians to too. So <laughs> two Egyptian <laughs> freshmen smoking a bunch of weed, but yeah, I'm uh, still, I'm still here for the conversation. Me too. Me too. But so here's the thing, like, it is hard to have this conversation without bringing up Bitstein's uh, uh, development triumvirate, sorry, uh, governance triumvirate. Um, so there's, you know, three parties, roughly speaking, that contribute to Bitcoin governance. There's the miners, the users, and the nodes. Um, in Bitcoin, 
and part of what differentiates Bitcoin from a lot of altcoins is that the users have actually exerted their authority over those two. I know you were talking about like, okay, we have the fork choice rule and the, the longest chain wins. Um, I think fundamentally, that's just a mechanical way to uh, automate uh, a lot of our decision-making processes. Um, Hasu gets into this a little bit in, um, in uh, Unpacking Bitcoin Social Contract. Uh, definitely recommend giving that one a read. But uh, yeah, I mean, Bitcoin users are fundamentally supreme over, over both the developers and over the miners. And in, in 2017, with the user-activated soft fork, we kind of established that. Um, and it's, it's really the only network where that's been definitionally established. Um, so, I mean, I think you can ask a lot of hard questions and, and there's a lot of situations where it's really unclear what the outcome would be in any term except for painful. It is incredibly clear that the outcome would be painful and that the way to arrive there would be just like rocky. But if you think about something like, look, like someone, SHA-256 breaks, someone just figures out a way to do SHA-256 in, in a single, single computation and it's really easy suddenly and they rewrite the whole chain and it's all empty blocks. It is very, very, very difficult for me to believe that we would actually fork onto that empty blockchain and let you know transactions settle over the course of the next 12 years, slowly but surely, one by one, um, rather than implement a uh, backwards incompatible hard fork. And I think that would be justifiable, by the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I, I could argue with you a lot there. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's possible. Is it possible for this to happen? Uh, I think Adam Back famously said that um, at least you could take the UTXO set from a objective point of time, an objective block, and then implement that um, on a different system, um, theoretically. And, you know, Bitcoin will have done its job in storing its wealth as long as you can identify that that pure starting point. Uh, it will be a dirty process if something like that does happen, though. Yeah, I mean, I think checkpointing is messy. I think anything is messy, right? Like, that's the thing. Uh I also don't think this is a very likely scenario, for the record. Um, but uh, fundamentally, I think users government govern the network. I think uh, users are 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 incentivized to to hold value. Um, they're incentivized to do something that uh, you know doesn't denigrate the asset. Something like lifting the supply cap would would fundamentally debase Bitcoin's value proposition. Something like changing the hashing algorithm when there's a very clear exploit. I'm not sure that it would. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean. Again, we don't know like what the criteria is going to do to uh, you know everyone's incentives and how people are going to react to that, and we don't know like what the the coordination mechanisms are going to be like. I have to say, I think that like unlike other cryptocurrencies where um, there's a central point that can kind of determine a coordination point or a shelling point, I think that there's very clear that Ethereum you know has an organization that defines what Ethereum is, and you can look at other hard forks where the network of nodes was disrupted. And let's just say the new version was what it was accepted to be Ethereum, which means that whoever's releasing the new version defines what Ethereum is. Bitcoin is not in that realm. Bitcoin, like what defines Bitcoin is something that is kind of like presently existing. And if there was a kerfuffle, my assumption is that the existing network of nodes is what people will would have the majority of the shelling point, right? And yeah. uh, our our ability to change and shift that shelling point when it comes to Bitcoin really has to do with everyone or key stakeholders in a way that maintains the existing rule set actually coordinating. And we're getting better at that. If you look at how upgrades have gone through the history of Bitcoin, like, you know, there's kind of like, 
Upgrades could happen when there was Satoshi. Upgrades could kind of happen easily when there's a small group of stakeholders. But as it became more and more decentralized, it became difficult to upgrade. But now with Taproot, we're starting to see, like, look, we can coordinate. We can follow the rules and coordinate and signal and do these little coordination uh, things in order to, you know, get large groups of people to act together. Um, I'm kind of curious on how, like, what's your take on, like, the evolution of coordination in Bitcoin, what that means for the future of, like, you know, the social contracts versus maintaining the the physical network of node that is with us today? Yeah. Um, the nodes, the users have established supremacy on the triumvirate. Um, I think that's a good thing. I think it's going to kind of really greatly simplify future upgrades, uh, provided they're not hugely controversial, which Taproot isn't. Um, and we really, you know, we like you said, we've streamlined the process. Uh, I think that's good. I think that's good for Bitcoin. I think if we do run into a SegWit situation where there's a controversial upgrade, uh, things are going to start looking a little bit different. Again, Taproot is not that. Uh, and, and Galaxy Digital is going to be putting out a report on Taproot shortly, probably by the time this podcast comes out. Um, but uh, I do think once we start seeing like privacy-enhancing uh, uh, improvements to the base chain, so things like cross-input aggregation, those could get a little bit hairy. Those could get messy. You're going to have uh, a few disputes between uh, companies that want to continue to have uh, the ability to track the flow of funds on chain and those that uh, are users who, who really only care about auditing the total supply and making sure that there's no new coins being printed, which um, CIA is actually uh, uh, pretty good at preserving. Um, so there will be hairy upgrades down the line. Taproot is not that. Um, I think it is a little premature to say that we've fixed uh, uh, consensus and that you know rough consensus still rules. But um, as a as a as a whole, I do think we've kind of established that that users are in charge, um, and also definitely uh, we've kind of carved out what are our core principles you know like we're not we're not doing things like uh, uh increasing the block size pointlessly Se segwit was a stealth block size increase I, I should i should kind of be clear about that like you can fit in more transactions in segwit than you could before and not just because transaction usage got more efficient it's actually there's just more space than there was um but uh you know we're not going to raise the 21 million cap ever and and you know we kind of figured out a lot of this stuff and we figured out that you can't just fork Bitcoin and and win as a minority chain. You know, just look at Bitcoin Cash, just look at BSB today. Like they're not doing well. They're they're and, and what's more, they're caught in this like, you know, your background right now is a is a fractal. Those guys are caught in a recursive like fractal forking pattern. Uh, if your community is built on forking off of the majority choice, uh, you will fundamentally fall prey to this. Bitcoin isn't, you know, thankfully, and we've we've kind of established that well. So we did talk about the scenario where like, okay, there's a mission critical, um, Bitcoin critical bug that effectively compromises Bitcoin entirely. And obviously, there's kind of a social contract that hopefully will guide users to coordinating to a new version of Bitcoin. But let's talk about outside of that, right? Like, how, how do you kind of discern between like, is something being enforced by let's say the existing network of nodes versus like, can it be like changed uh, or, or moved around based on, uh, let's just call it a ever evolving social contract, right? 
Yeah. Could you, could you talk a little bit more about what you mean there? Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I mean, I think let, let's just kind of set some context. I would say that a lot of uh, Bitcoin deniers or Bitcoin skeptics, especially people who are in the altcoin ecosystem, will say that, hey, all, all coins are ruled by social contracts. All social contracts change. Therefore, Bitcoin's 21 million is not rock solid, right? So in the case where like 21 million is challenged by an implementation issue, like you kind of described, you know, you did kind of illustrate a good case for why maybe a social contract would come in to enforce uh, 21 million. But on the flip side, I would say detractors would argue that, you know, Bitcoin is just like anything else. It's all social contract and that social contract around 21 million can change in a non kind of, you know, just, just, you know, as a whim of, you know, people or preferences change. Uh, like, how did, how do you kind of like see that, you know, fitting into the Bitcoin model and what is defining Bitcoin perpetually? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say that's kind of true, but they're missing the point a little bit. Um, social contracts do change, but generally in light of new information. Uh, and also, there's kind of like a, a list of priorities, I guess, right? So in our case, uh, 21 million, really high priority. I could definitely see the network forking to to add new coins in the event that say like it was just there just wasn't enough fees to maintain the network, and uh, we kept getting like super super deep reorgs, and you could never have a final transaction. Um, for the record, I don't think there's really a high chance of that happening at all. Uh, but I do think that transaction settlement and having a network that actually allows you to settle transactions will likely emerge as a higher priority for, for most nodes and for most users than maintaining the supply cap in the event that that were to arise. Um, but otherwise, I think what we've established with this is actually, you know, we have this core set of principles. And um, to me, it feels pretty unchanging. Uh, to me, I think unless we find some sort of like critical exploit or something like that, uh, that requires a hard fork, the community's preferences are not ever going to change toward preferring hard forks over soft forks. And this is very, very different from developer-driven communities. Like you mentioned, the Ethereum Foundation kind of does tend to steer ETH a little bit right now. Um, and uh, yeah, Ethereum is definitely developer-governed. And I can't name any off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are also altcoins that are like, you know, more or less minor-governed. Um, maybe Ethereum Classic or something else where there's just like constant reorgs, you can consider it a form of that, right? Because it's, it makes it very hard to store value. It makes it very hard to have like transaction finality in any, in any meaningful sense. Um, maybe post proof of stake, Ethereum will look like that maybe, uh, where, where, you know, it's like staker or validator governed as opposed to, uh, uh, uh developer. But, um, but right now, you know, uh, I, I don't want to go too far down the, the ETH rabbit hole, but like with the, uh, uh, EIP 1559 um, debate, kind of the developers have have asserted supremacy over the miners. Uh, so it's an interesting case, I think. Um, but but yeah, I, I don't really see uh, Bitcoin's core principles changing. Um, I do see maybe in, in an event of conflict between core principles, we'll find out which ones are more core. Uh, I could definitely see that. But uh, bullish Bitcoin is all I'm trying to say and bullish 21 million. All right, let's take a quick break from that episode. I want to tell you guys about our sponsor. It is Bitcoin 2022 conference. I am sure you saw the videos. You may have been there in person. Bitcoin 2021 was an absolute smashing success. It was the biggest conference in Bitcoin history, crypto history, whatever history of the digital asset sphere. 
Bitcoin is number one in the Bitcoin 2021 conference is number one with a bullet. It was an absolutely incredible time. I was working my ass off the whole time, but I got to meet so many incredible community members. And I think the best testament to how amazing Bitcoin 2021 was, was not just all of the amazing, you know, accolades and, uh, and compliments that I got personally and our team got, but also it's the skin in the game in Bitcoin 2022. We have already sold close to 1,500 tickets. That is more than 10% of the people, everyone who went to Bitcoin 2021 have already purchased tickets to Bitcoin 2022. We have not released a date. We have not released a city. We have not released anything. That is the biggest compliment. That is the biggest skin in the game of the community being down for this conference. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be bigger than Bitcoin 2021. It is going to be better than Bitcoin 21 in every single way. And we are going to be bringing you the best opportunity to mingle with the biggest, the baddest, the most Bitcoin people on the planet. So join the revolution. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Get your tickets today. I don't know what the ticket prices are. They are going up. I think they're $249 right now. We just rolled out fiat ticket uh, purchases. All the tickets purchased before today were all purchased in BTC. So get it, guys. Get it. Get this ticket. Be at Bitcoin 2022. See you there. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you guys about The Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is a new premium newsletter from the Bitcoin Magazine team in conjunction with my man, BTCization, Dylan LeClaire. Dylan is such a multifaceted and wide-ranging analyst. He does everything from on-chain analytics to macro uh, analysis to uh, you know hash rate and all that kind of good stuff. He does it all. He breaks down everything that's happening every single day with his daily dive. He's going to dive into what is happening in the market that day. So that way, you don't have to pay attention to Twitter. You don't have to pay attention to anything else. You can just pay attention to the deep dive, and he has you covered. And at the end of the week, guess what? You get a weekly recap. And at the end of the month, hey, we have a freaking report, a beautiful PDF breaking down all the activity of that entire month, what it means for Bitcoin, what you can expect moving forward. The Bitcoin market is going to moon. We are here to make sure that we maximize your stack. Go to members.bitcoinmagazine.com to sign up today. And if you use promo code BITS, you can get one month for free. So again, the deep dive, I've been checking it out every day. And you should too. Back to the show. I mean, again, like this is not really like I think we're both bullish. You know, I think we we're not saying we think these will happen, but in the case that they do happen, what will happen? That's kind of like what we're opining on. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Just for me, it seems like in the case of almost every single attack, it is yes, the users that have dominance in the Bitcoin system, the full nodes, but users you know, are implemented as full nodes. And a user can be implemented as many full nodes um, or many users can be using one full node as, you know, with like mining pools and exchanges and stuff like that. So like for the network itself, though, it's there's just full nodes and they're validating valid transactions. And like, I don't know, I feel like coordinating beyond that, unless there's just a life or death scenario... Um, so maybe, you know, a massive reorgs, the game theory is completely broken on Bitcoin uh, in the long term, as you know, a lot of detractors and altcoiners will, you know, count on their investment thesis is grounded on that that is going to happen. Um, maybe that that does happen. And maybe then, you know, users have to move. But 
I just feel like if that doesn't happen, the actual physical thing that is every single day enforcing consensus is physical hardware. And unless you're actually winning over hearts and minds and forcing every single person or almost every single person, a super majority of the network to actually change their, the network that they're on in terms of upgrading their physical hardware, which is a massive fee, I feel like it will always be the physical hardware that is um, that is enforcing Bitcoin. So, uh, you know, I, it's a circular question, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's a, I mean, it doesn't matter until it matters, right? Uh, it doesn't matter until there's some sort of coordination problem or, or some sort of life or death situation. Uh, what I will say is I don't think running multiple nodes actually double counts your votes. And I think that's kind of why I say that users matter, right? Like social networks matter more than, than uh, uh, computer networks. Um, if I run four nodes, I don't get four votes. I still just get my one vote. Um, your roughly, one vote right? is just more redundant. It's just more redundant, but who cares, right? Like really just in, in what capacity does it really matter? It, it only really matters in, in terms of my social influence and in my ability to kind of dictate how uh, the network will develop. Um, if I have, if I have, uh, you know, one node or four or five or seven, um, at the end of the day, like, yeah, I can be more confident that those node implementations aren't wrong, that there's, you know, if, if I'm running knots on one and, and, you know, Bitcoin core on the other, I can, I can be a little bit more confident that there isn't a bug in either one. But, but beyond that, I'm not really sure, uh, uh, how the nodes, the number of nodes that I'm running dictates anything more than just like, me as an individual, uh, kind of deciding what I believe is important. And uh, ultimately, it's the people behind it that kind of determine the value of the network, right? So people agree on if this thing has value and the thing with the most value, uh, you know, is, is, is going to win legitimacy. So what's like your mental model of, um, I know these are tough questions, but like, what's your mental model of like, what happens in a world where the like let's just call it an existential crisis with the current physical network of Bitcoin? Like, how does how does that like play out? And let's just say it's just a reorging issue, or like it's an issue where the current you know we cannot lo- we can no longer move forward with the chain. Like the chain is stopped. It's here. You know we are stuck at this point where we have a UTXO set. The chain is no longer moving. We have to do something else. Like what what is how does that play out in your head? All right, so we're just frozen, like, I don't know, SHA-256 sure. stopped working and all the blocks forever. Like There can be a million different ways why the chain is yeah. broken. Yeah, but the, yeah. the end result is chain is broken. We can't stay on this on this, uh, on this this chain. We have to migrate on, over something else and take, you know, be able to coordinate around something. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, Twitter would be popping. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's the case. I think Bitcoin Talk would be, you know, through the roof. Uh, I think we'd, we'd kind of converge around a few developers. Um, you know, the Bitcoin code base is, is, is still like, like you said, like people run nodes. Um, but eventually we'd like kind of all get together. We'd figure out what are we doing here? And then we'd, you know, turn on a bunch of nodes and we'd have another network. And that would be fine. We'd, we'd, we'd just copy over the UTXO set and, and kind of start from not scratch, but from this new code base. Don't get me wrong. I believe nodes are very, very important to the network. I just think at the end of the day, it's it's my decision that influences that and, and that's yeah. important. But it's just so, it's so messy. Maybe under extreme conditions, like everyone sees clearly because it's life or death. But like, is there a chance that 
an altcoin emerges here? Is it like the the highest chance of whatever takes over is a fork of Bitcoin? You know, where where you take the UTXO set and put it onto something else? Like how, um, you know, wh- what are the uh, realms of possibility in terms of like a shelling coin? Yeah, I mean, I almost guarantee that an altcoin or seven or ten would emerge if there were a chain freeze, right? Um, we'd see like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Cash Cash, uh, but it's uh. Yeah, I mean, I think eventually we would converge around the highest value chain. We'd converge around the one with the most activity, uh, with the highest market cap, um, where people really feel confident in uh, transaction settlement and uh, transaction settlement finality. Um, because at the end of the day, like, like you cannot have a functional store of value if you can't settle transactions effectively. So... I think that's a lot of you know that's that's a lot of the value that miners add is that they do they do increase the the settlement finality capabilities of the network, um, and and that's really a, a solid argument for why like in a world where every single miner had gone to Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Cash had better better settlement finality that would have been a scary world you know there would have been that would have been that would have been a lot messier than what we actually ended up seeing in 2017 where the users kind of like exercise their power beforehand. Um, so yeah, it's messy, but I think like the shelling point is just uh, uh, something that we'll figure out and something that we'll converge to. It's just going to snowball into something, right? Uh, early winter. Um, I do I do think it would be uh, uh, an interesting test of the network's resilience. So um what is more likely to succeed in your mind in, in such a situation where existing BTC chain, existing network of nodes freezes up, cannot no longer move forward, has to be some sort of a hard fork? Is it uh, an existing altcoin, like, you know, the runner-up altcoin, the runner-up network, whether depending, you know, who knows how big it is actually in terms of dominance, or is it a fork of, of the BTC chain? Wow, this is, this is like a, this is pretty astral. Um, I think we like the the chain would definitely fork. Uh, I think almost with with pretty high certainty the chain would fork. It might fork like seven times and create six new altcoins in the process. Yeah. Um. But I do think that uh, Bitcoin as a standalone asset is is pretty crucial. Uh, I know there's people who argue that you would like move over the UTXO set to Ethereum or something. I'm not entirely sure that that's coherent in my view. Uh, I think it makes a lot more sense that that uh, uh, Bitcoin would continue as a standalone chain in that type of event. Um, picking winners and losers of the inevitable resulting forking chains would be very, very difficult. But uh, it's a process that we would eventually arrive at just by market dynamics. Interesting. I hope we never see uh, these kind of crazy situations. But again, it's a, it's a fun mental exercise to kind of just uh, try to work at. So I'm kind of curious in your mind, like we're talking about what we would consider very unlikely scenarios. Can you talk about the health of the Bitcoin network today? You're obviously diving deep into the mining aspect, but I feel like you have a pretty good pulse on like how healthy, how sustainable are these incentive structures? Granted, things continue as they as they are going. Yeah. Um, I mean, Bitcoin today is healthier than ever, right? Like hash rates doing good. Um we we've had more than enough of that for a while now, and and you know even if hash rate dips a little bit with the the, the present news cycle, um, Bitcoin's going to be way more than secure. Uh, as hash rate inevitably decentralized out of China with the current news cycle, um, 
that's also going to be awesome. You know, we're going to have like like a lot less geographic centralization. Again, miners don't really control Bitcoin, so it's it's kind of a moot point in the first place. Um, but there's n- no way this is anything but good in the in the long run. Um, for the record, I'm I'm actually just referring to the the current uh, uh, bud around like China and um, uh, the the Bitcoin mining and um, uh, trading restrictions. Right, we're seeing large outflows out of China in that regard into into North America, uh, Kazakhstan, and Russia. Um, we just put out a note to clients about this. Uh, it's a little bit under the radar, but if, if anyone's interested, DM me. Uh, so anyway, at the the core hash rate level, the network's getting more decentralized, and it's already very healthy. Um, with the splitting up of Bitmain into Jahan's company and Mike Ree's company, um, we're also seeing a, spin up, a split off between uh, Antpool and BTC.com. Historically, those both had the same parent company, Bitmain. Uh, via BTC also, Bitmain is the only investor in that. Um, so that was kind of always a little bit uh, of a point of centralization. Um, but uh, given you know that you have two people who, who, who can't seem to get along and, and they you know each split the baby in half, um, that's good. That's good for the network. Um, and, and I think it's, it's really good reason to be optimistic. Uh, at the holding level, um, you know, Bitcoin supply is getting more and more dispersed. Uh, address count is up. Active address count is up. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. That's all I can say. Yeah, no, I think there is a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And I have been buying the dip off of the recent news, but aggressively, thankfully. Dude, you still have Fiat? Um, you know... I, I just run a very conservative lifestyle or maybe a very, uh, uh, maybe not a, a conservative lifestyle, depending on who you ask. But, you know, I do like to have some cash, um, although a very <laughs> large majority of my wealth is in Bitcoin. And personally, for me, I think if you get Bitcoin, you understand the potential. Like you realize you, like the amount of sets that you can acquire now is more than enough to set you and your family <laughs> Uh, ahead of life uh, forever, like even if you just buy modest amounts in fiat terms today. So like, I'm not too concerned. I have plenty of Bitcoin and I, I can afford to uh, to have some dirty fiat on the side. But uh, <laughs> I do tend to buy the dips when, uh, when they present themselves. Um, but yeah, I guess we could actually transition to a little bit more optimistic, like the upside of Bitcoin, right? Like, Here's a great way. One of my favorite books by far is The Sovereign Individual. I literally hand them out like Bibles. I have I currently own 15 copies. I'll have 10 of them at Bitcoin 2021, which will have already happened by then, but uh, or by the time everyone's listening to this. But um, in that book, they said there's 100 million sovereign individuals as just off the cuff estimation, right? In terms of like population and then like what the world's going to look like. There's only 21 million Bitcoins. So if you have one Bitcoin, you're already in that 100 million sovereign individual status, according to the sovereign individual. And that's not, you know, rock solid prediction there, you know, but in terms of they've been directionally right. And that's what they're thinking. So I feel I feel pretty comfortable these days. Yeah, man, it's a it's a good time to be in the industry. And honestly, like. I I get, uh, you know, obviously, I, I have my attachment to my stack. But um, I love the volatility. It's a big part of what drew me into the space. I just I I I get really excited when price goes up, and I get like kind of antsy, but also pretty amped when it goes down. I'm like, whoa, let's ride this. So 
uh i really can't complain life's good uh bitcoin today is what like above 30 somewhere 38 i don't know but like floating like, there floating there a year ago like if you told me that i would have been over the moon so you know what i'm just trying to approach it from that angle and i'm i am over the moon so yeah that's awesome um is this bull run over I don't know. Price can go up. It can go down. It does that. It does both. Uh, I'm expecting like uh, quite a bit of volatility in the next couple of weeks. Um, but um, you know, I don't think we're gonna dip to to all time lows or anything like that. Uh, I think we've kind of like gotten things have, from a news perspective, gotten roughly as bad as they could get over the last few weeks, and we're still sitting above thirty. So life's good. We're chilling. Uh, I don't, I don't really see anything that can drive us way, way lower than here, but, uh, I also can't make price predictions and I'm not making price predictions. This is what Bitcoin Zen looks like, everyone. You, you got some Bitcoin Zen leadership right here. I just stacked the dip because I'm an idiot and I have fiat. Cream rides the dip, but he doesn't care because long-term thinking Bitcoin is one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin and infinity divided by 21 million is, is the end game. Yo, I'll be honest. I panic sold the bottom. Uh, I rebought slightly above the bottom. I felt like an idiot. Now I have to pay taxes. <laughs> Wish I wow. had done that. Never mind. I take back the Bitcoin Zen uh, comment 100%. You no, know, but I really appreciate that you think I'm Zen. Like, I'm with it. I'm with it. Uh, and, well, and philosophically, I'm there. <laughs> man, dude. So, but, yeah. I have to tell you, Kareem, your Bitcoins are too easy to get to. They're too easy to get to. The fact that um, you can panic sell the bottom means that you're fucking up on on your cold storage. That's true. Oof. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that on like uh, some sort of live 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 process. Too easy um, to get to, my man. You got you got weeks. I would never <laughs> sell all my Bitcoin. I uh, I sold I sold some 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 money some money, but uh, 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 <laughs> no, man. Like it's a. Uh, you gotta learn your I lesson, Kareem. I should not be yeah, saying. Yeah, never frame, <laughs> just stack. Hey, I'm never just saying, man. The sovereign individual says 100 million sovereign individuals, richest people in the world, can be completely sovereign. Only 21 million bitcoins. Let's do it. Let's do it. Only 21 million. Um, uh, I don't know if the math checks out, but <laughs> this, this is not a science here. You're more analytical. I'm I'm left. I, I'm the left side of the bell curve, and you're the right side. Maybe maybe you're in the middle. I can't tell if you sold, but um, <laughs> it's true. No, no, no. It's true. It's you're true. you're I sold, I closer buy, to the right side, though. Yeah, it's okay. Enough, does it count as selling? Does it count as buying the dip if you also sold the dip? That's the question. Like. Uh, no, that 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 count. That's called slapping yourself, uh, <laughs> slapping yeah, yourself after a, should, a potential mistake. It's but a, a, we, we don't have to talk about that too much. Like when when people hit you up, right? And okay, like, let's take it back. Let's talk about like what's happening with mining in China. What's happening mining generally? Like my thesis is that one, there's two things that matter with mining. One is kind of like this stock to flow of hash rate because that's really the thermodynamic security that mining is providing is how quickly and how easily could someone add additional hash rate to the network and like what's the friction there so like there's this kind of stock to flow to hash rate on the network and then the other part is like you know miners setting up in areas that can kind of ensure that they can stay profitable and they can have kind of like consistency 
right? And uh, minimize volatility because they're already exposed to enough volatility on the Bitcoin price. Um, so I think those are like the two most important factors. Like when you're like seeing like the shifts in China, like, you know, is that being reflected on chains that are being reflected in, uh, in hash rate? Are we seeing like uh, the actual like disruptions happening to the network? And like, um, I guess, can you just talk about like, I guess this is kind of a a, a pretty wide ranging circular question, but like, um, what what is what is good for Bitcoin mining? Like, why is what's happening right now good? Why like why does that kind of fit into your kind of uh, mining and security confidence in the network? Because I feel like there's a lot there's a lot of, like fear around like the incentives and how how well these incentives um, can hold the network together. Yeah, okay. So the most recent estimate of the amount of hash rate in China uh, is Q2 2020 from Cambridge. Uh, puts it at about 65%. That is fine. Um, it's not, you know, a huge problem or anything, but it's not amazing. It's not great that, like, you know, within one, like, regulatory jurisdiction, we have 65% of, of, you know, effectively the uh, uh, hashing power on the network. Um, and like you mentioned, the stock to flow of hash rate today, uh, the flow today is functionally zero. Um, there just aren't really new machines entering the market. Uh, hash rate has, has, has stalled out um, because of the global chip shortage. So it is 65% of the stock. The flow is zero. I don't love it. You know, I, I'm, I'm very confident in Bitcoin security. I don't think that this is a real threat in any sort of uh, uh, substantive capacity. Um, but it would be amazing if some of that hash rate left. What we were just blessed with, like literally without trying, and you know the market's freaked out in response to this, but it's actually long-term very, very, very good, uh, is an opportunity to kind of change that a little bit, to make the network a little bit more decentralized, to move to different jurisdictions where there isn't currently a ton of hash rate, uh, and to make ultimately the network more secure. Um, so yeah, when I do kind of my, my mental math on this, I just see that it's really, really good. Before we get back to the episode, I want to tell you guys about Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin Magazine is the oldest publication covering Bitcoin, and we've been covering Bitcoin since 2012. Y'all, I'm so proud to be working for Bitcoin Magazine. We spend all day trying to scour the internet for the top news, the top plebs, the top subjects, conversations, everything that has to do with BTC, the asset. BTC, the culture, BTC, the revolution. We are here for it. We are here for BTC and BTC only. And we want to give back to the Bitcoin community. Hit us up if you want to contribute. And uh, yeah, go follow us on Twitter. Go uh, subscribe to this podcast. Go follow us on YouTube. All of the places that you can find Bitcoin Magazine, we are there. Instagram, Reddit, everywhere. We're there. We're there. Follow us for the best Bitcoin knowledge. Back to the episode. I mean, what are you seeing from like a hash rate perspective that is making you believe that this is actually happening? It's not some like giant uh, gaslighting attempt or uh, 3D chess from on behalf of, you know, entities in China. Like, are are we actually seeing signs of hash hash rate moving? Yeah. No, we're seeing signs of hash rate moving. Uh, It's nothing that you can detect on chain yet, especially with the annual great miner migration between um, Inner Mongolia and the Central Valley. Uh, it's it's like hard to detect. Um, there will be a drop in hash rate over the next couple of weeks. That 
drop in hash rate will largely not be attributable to hash rate leaving China, but rather just to miners relocating internally. Uh, from a regulatory perspective, from, from like a real regulatory perspective, there hasn't been anything substantive. There's been more additions to the ban on, on Bitcoin mining in Inner Mongolia, which already existed. Uh, so, yeah, there's nothing. I mean, like, like there's no reason to think that, that the hash rate is going to leave like imminently. That said, we are talking to miners in China. We are talking to people who own a lot of rigs in China. We're talking to manufacturers, everything like that. Every indicator says that this is real. It's not necessarily like a real ban, but the exodus is real. So do with that what you will. But um, I think hash rate becoming more globally distributed is, is just good for Bitcoin. And it's happening beyond yeah. the shadow of that. So. In terms of like the end state of like hash rate being distributed, is it really going to come down to uh, you know where resources are physically uh, located? Um, like, what's kind of like the end game there? Well, and what other factors play into it? Yeah, so uh, physical location definitely matters, right? Like at the end of the day, um, the government is a monopoly on violence, so uh, the state is a monopoly on violence. So that that matters. Um, Violence is a reasonably effective form of control. Um, what also matters is just that you have like different uh, uh, corporate entities operating things, uh, because that's another form of control, right? Um, it's financial control, effectively. So it matters a lot um, that that this hash rate is getting distributed better. It uh, is also awesome that kind of we're we're seeing hash rate move from weak hands like mine to stronger hands. Uh, we're seeing hash rate move from people who are willing to sell under duress to uh, just other, you know, opportunistic buyers. Um, and that's good that, you know, like, even if it's not like there's a one-to-one relationship between the sell- people selling their rigs and uh, uh, the people buying, right? Like, sell- there's going to be more buyers than sellers. There's going to be like, uh, sellers aren't going to necessarily like sell their entire stock. They're just going to distribute outside of the country. A lot of them aren't like even really selling. They're just moving a portion of their machine allocation from China to North America. Um, so that's good. That makes it more difficult. Uh, ultimately, the network is just going to come out more decentralized on this from every level. What I'm very, very, very excited for that is not exactly related to this is the development of Stratum V2, which is going to make decentralization at the pool level. Uh, so currently, there's a, a degree of centralization with mining pools. Uh, I believe it requires three or four four mining pools to get to 51% of the Bitcoin hash rate. Um, that's fine. Like Mining pools are just aggregators of hash rate. It takes about 10 minutes for a miner to move their hash rate from one pool to another. So if these pools start colluding and attacking the network, uh, it's not the end of the world a lot of miners will shift off because they are economically incentivized to do so. Uh, but it's not great, right? Like, it's, it's another one of those things where it's like, it could be better. Uh, Stratum V2 makes it a lot better. Stratum V2 allows miners to order their own blocks and to select their own templates. Um, and, or sorry, order their own transactions by selecting their own templates. And that, you know, increases Bitcoin's decentralization. It makes it robust to having a degree of centralization at the pool level because uh the mining level matters a lot more um and so i'm really excited for that to kind of roll around and i can't wait uh and hopefully you know next couple of years we'll have a much more decentralized and much healthier network 
So only up from here in terms of actual fundamentals of the network. Um, I'm I'm optimistic on Stratum V2. Uh, I'm also optimistic on hash rate being able to move. You know, when you're kind of watching Taproot and everything that's happening there, you, you know, I at least got a closer look into the shifts in hash rate uh, across mining pools. I typically don't really look at those kind of metrics. Uh, but it was really interesting to see hash rate flee pools that weren't really signaling and that um, it kind of that depending on if pools were signaling, it kind of affected how much hash rate they were able to uh, accumulate. Um, my last question for you before we wrap it up is like, how important is proof of work uh, in Bitcoin mining in general going to be for the future of energy production? Because for me, you know, when I see Bitcoin uh, deniers and uh, and kind of skeptics, uh, they you know, they typically don't even embrace the fact that or acknowledge the fact that you know, it's really freaking helpful to have someone to sell your electricity to when you have no one else to sell electricity to. And that's what Bitcoin does, right? Bitcoin is kind of like that energy buyer of last resort. That's what proof of work does. Only proof of work as a consensus mechanism enables that. Um, like what's what's kind of your take on Bitcoin plugging into other bigger, more important energy infrastructure in the world? Yeah, um, I guess my one-liner is I'm much more bullish on Bitcoin as a baseload consumer than I am as a surplus supply consumer. Um, what I mean by this is that I think it makes more sense to have you have you have you know some things like natural gas plants that generate a certain amount of energy uh, that will be consumed. Or sorry, they have to generate they have to output this much energy uh, in order to continue operating. Uh, I think having a Bitcoin mine attached to that and 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 uh, just mining off of that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so waste effectively mining off of the waste. Yes, but it's a different type of waste from something like an intermittent energy source that generates energy sporadically and uh, you know um, has to mine off of that. This is not my idea. I'm getting this from way smarter people. Um, the other thing is that like like nuclear plants kind of have this like base load that they need to generate and, and, and curtail ultimately in order to stay on. Um, and so, yeah, attaching like a Bitcoin miner to a nuclear plant makes a ton of sense for that same reason. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty optimistic on that. I do think that Bitcoiners tend to sugarcoat it a little bit more than it merits. Um, I also think that people can tend to kind of make a bigger deal out of Bitcoin's entire energy consumption thing than actually matters. It's, it's one night, of the energy that's lost in transmission just because wires are kind of faulty and moving energy is hard uh, globally. I don't think this is really worth having a conversation. It's it's 0.1% of the global energy consumption and half a percent of global electricity consumption. I'm all for saving. I'm I'm green, you know, I'm 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 like I recently became vegetarian and, and just like, because I think nobody talks about like the carbon output of animal agriculture enough and the methane output of animal agriculture enough. Uh, like really that was my motivating reason for that. Um, I believe in climate change, all of this stuff. I just think there's kind of been a lot of attention drawn to this thing that is not necessarily the end of the world and is not actually consuming as much energy as people kind of make it out to. So um, not to mention that Bitcoin's energy mix is likely like greener than virtually any other industry and any definitely any national grid. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, I think Friar Haas, our friend uh, over from Australia, has done some really good work trying to model that stuff out. Um, he's published that on Bitcoin Magazine. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree that the the overall amount is overblown. But here's the thing about Bitcoin and the thing about the existing system is that Bitcoin is perfectly definable and its energy usage, it wears it on its sleeve. Whereas the existing system, you know, if you were to try to define what the dollar is and what's securing the dollar and how much energy that requires, it's very difficult. And on top of that, it's obfuscated, right? Um, and it's obfuscated by marketing. It's obfuscating by the fact that it's difficult to define. It's obfuscated by a lot of things. So people are just ignorant. And there's a lot of base assumption that Bitcoin is useless and therefore all the energy usage is, you know, a waste. Yeah, I mean, this thing has value, right? Like, it just does. It has value to you, me, and a ton of other people. And really, who's anyone to say what the energy consumption that that I consider valuable is versus this? Uh, so. The central planners, though, that's the point, is that they want to decree and they want to centrally plan based on whatever their uh, data sources are. I guess so, man. I guess so. I Look, I'll say something else also just uh, on the decentralization note that I think kind of um, I, I, I missed. Um, Bitcoin is becoming more decentralized at the hardware manufacturer level. Uh, historically, this has been a pretty big uh, point of centralization as well. Um, you know, Bitmain produced and continues to produce machines that uh, are responsible for the majority of the network's hash rate. They haven't always been the best actor. Um, but, you know, that, again, kind of fine. They're economically incentivized to not uh, uh, 51% attack the network. And, and you know, they, they, they haven't done that directly and, and all of that. Um, but we're kind of seeing the emergence of uh, other manufacturers like MicroBT as well, and, and that's good. So, um, you know, we're moving from one to two, but uh, it's it's still, it's a start. It's a start. And it's a work in progress. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I think it's a very nuanced subject. It's really awesome to get your insight. And thank you for bearing with some of my uh, roundabout questions. But I really enjoyed this conversation. We talked about some some deep in the weeds Bitcoin topics here. Yeah, thanks, Christian. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. So, uh, Kareem, I guess want to give you a chance to give your last word to the Bitcoin Magazine audience. Uh, last word, Galaxy Digital uh, Research is hiring. Uh, and follow me at Kareem Help Me on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Y'all, get paid to Bitcoin. Work with this man. He is a G. And uh, go follow him as well. He uh, has put out some really great work on Bitcoin mining as well as just great observations about Bitcoin in general. I've been really enjoying following you on Twitter. So highly recommended to all the Bitcoin Magazine listeners out there. But until then, follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Follow Bitcoin Magazine at Bitcoin Magazine. And uh, give the podcast five-star reviews and uh, share it on YouTube. All that good stuff. We appreciate you sharing Bitcoin knowledge with the rest of the world. Thanks. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.